Hello, everyone. It's Matthew DeMello, your host of The Fiona Show, Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. Today, we're talking to one of our longstanding clients, Willie Ong, the Tax and Transfer Pricing Director at Harsco Corporation. And in case you didn't know, Harsco is a diverse company with divisions that provide environmentally sustainable solutions for specialty waste streams and co-products of steel production, and also builds and maintains rail lines from the Swiss Alps to the Amazon rainforest. Willie manages the tax and transfer pricing through all of it, and so suffice it to say, he's a busy guy. Of course, we're going to let Willie tell you about Willie. Hopefully, he mentions that he speaks three languages, and hopefully he mentions that gem in English, though, as we're not quite up to speed on our Chinese and Japanese like he is. Cross-Border Solutions Chief Economist Mimi Song is here with us today, and she'll be leading us with Willie through Harsco's transfer pricing journey. As always, you can earn CPE credits just for listening to this podcast. We'll plant two CPE code words in the script. Listen for them and email them both. Remember, we need both to us at The Fiona Show, all one word, at xbs.ai, and we'll reply with your CPE certificates. How easy is that? But before we get to Willie, let's take a look at transfer pricing in the news. Washington, the day has come, ladies and gentlemen. There is a bill currently sitting in the United States House of Representatives mandating public country-by-country reporting for multinational enterprises with revenues above $850 million U.S. dollars. And for that, you can thank Congresswoman Cynthia Axney, Democrat of Iowa's Third Caucus, who introduced the Disclosure of Tax Havens and Offshoring Act as her first major piece of legislation. The junior representative is not out here to make friends, at least not with MNEs anyway. Presidential candidate Amy Klobuchar of Minnesota is sponsoring a Senate version of the bill. Lawmakers are selling the law to the public as a way of leveling the playing field for smaller businesses that can't take advantage of tax havens. And it has received credible backing from corporate tax avoidance watchdogs like the Institute on Taxation and Economic Policy. And in speaking of the Senate, if there's one thing everyone, Democrat and Republican, can say about the base erosion in anti-abuse tax, or BEAT as it's popularly known, it's that it's a mess. The U.S. Treasury is still hard at work issuing corrections to its decisions that implement BEAT, but there's an even bigger story underneath these changes. The Treasury's conduct over BEAT alone, as well as how it's gone about provisions under the Global Intangible Low Tax Income Regime, or GILTI, has Senate Democrats up in arms. I mean, there wasn't much for them to love to begin with. The rules as they stand leave gaping loopholes that Treasury isn't just tripping over themselves to make it easier for MEs to take advantage of, but tripping over, get this, their basic grammar and law writing skills. Treasury has issued over 100 pieces of guidance in the last two years since the law passed already, and with this new announcement, pessimists are left to wonder if they'll ever stop issuing corrections. Now Senate Democrats are taking matters into their own hands, targeting loopholes via a bill that clarifies amounts and exclusions. In other words, effective blocking any attempt to introduce high-tax exemptions to the guilty regime. For all this newfound focus on international tax by American politicians, there's really no need to worry, though. There's still the filibuster, the fact that they're in the minority, and the threat of a presidential veto all there to stop them. Finance ministers and central bank governors of the G20 met in Riyadh, Saudi Arabia last week to welcome the unified approach, going as far as outright voicing support for Pillar 1 as the future foundation of digital tax. The thing is, G20 ministers were quick to point out that all this progress doesn't really mean much if the OECD can't get the ball in the end zone 
by the agreed-upon deadline of year's end 2020. This means key elements of the revised Pillar 1 proposals need to reach significant political consensus by July. As far as other possible storms on the horizon, the ministers also voiced support for progress on Pillar 2, i.e. the minimum global tax proposal. Both approvals carry weight in the grand scheme of geopolitics surrounding the OECD's digital service tax guidance. While not the largest nor most representative international economic forum, at least when it comes to the interests of developing countries anyway. The G20 approval signals clearing skies as negotiations move forward, at least from the side of the table that has the most to lose from both pillars. So hey, at least the OECD has that going for them. Note to multinational companies everywhere, if you think the coronavirus has affected your bottom line, take a look at how it's devastated the economies of governments around the world. And where do you think tax authorities will look to make up for all that lost revenue? That's right, your transfer pricing. You can't afford to be non-compliant, but then you probably can't afford to pay for an overpriced consultant who bills by the hour either. Oops, sorry, big four. We've got the answer. Cross-border solutions, AI-powered transfer pricing software keeps you in compliance by preparing accurate, hyper-localized reports that protect you from transfer pricing audits, penalties, and adjustments. And our technology is available for one flat fee, a fraction of what you'd pay a big-name consultant. Again, apologies, Big Four. Stay in compliance and on budget with Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven transfer pricing software. It's no wonder we're the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. There we go again. I'm so sorry, Big. You know what? Wait, who am I kidding? Sign up for a free demo of Cross-Border Solutions transfer pricing technology today at xbs.ai slash tp. That's xbs.ai slash tp. For those of you who may not know Matt and, and audience, Willie is one of our best customers at Cross Border Solutions. I am very happy to be on this podcast with him. And a couple of things I wanted to find out, you know, I think we all want to know about you, Willie, is how did you get into transfer pricing? Oh, this is actually pretty interesting. You know, Hosco is a pretty dynamic company. You know, I start off for indirect tax, and then you know, opportunity uh, opens up. The company's dynamic. You know, we start going into transfer pricing, and then that's how I get it. It's, I mean, it's kind of natural progression, just because there's opportunities and kind of move into it. Mm-hmm. And when transfer pricing sort of fell into your realm of responsibility, what did you find interesting about it? You know, it's, it's interesting because. We, we kind of a, it's a hybrid of economists, we're a hybrid of a business partner, you know, we've been an attorney and journalist and negotiator. So all of those combined kind of make this really a fascinating job. Yeah, it cuts across a lot of different disciplines, right? So At some point, negotiating with the, with the state or the country, at some point, you're negotiating internally with your business partner, mm-hmm. and then when you're drafting things together, you kind of like, hey, this is a, like a journalistic view of things. And then you kind of like, hey, this, this, all this agreement needs to put in place. So just quite a, a you know, hybrid that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and then transfer pricing has evolved over the years. I don't know when you started getting involved in transfer pricing, but what kind of changes have you seen since you started working with you know, transfer pricing issues at Harsco? I know you've been with Harsco for quite some time now, right? Yeah, so I think we, we went through, the, I think the, the high-level changes Sometimes more is less, sometimes less is more. 
So really, you know, you think through that at some point of time, from many years ago, we are okay to just pass master with, and I have a studies back in 2019, uh, 1997, and, I, and we kind of refreshed that kind of, but now we like with the, you know, with the BABs, with the master file, local file, that's pretty a big deal. But then within master file, we may not say so much, we may say more, depends on the circumstances and the company. So. Right. It's very dynamic. So much more of a strategic approach to transfer pricing and managing the level of information that you're sharing, you know, because the, the regulatory environment has changed, right? Willie, tell us a little bit about your company. Well, this is a uh, about $2 billion company, you know, uh, we have about 10,000 employees. A lot of this you can see now, 10K, we have three different divisions, rail, metal recovery, mm-hmm. and waste processing. We also have, so from rail, we provide, we make tenders, a big, big tender for rail. We also produce part metal recovery. We have, you know, we, we partner ourselves with metal recoveries and then perform services for them and also recover metals. But waste, we just acquire, you know, clean earth and we are processing waste. So we are very different in, in, in three different divisions. We recently just disposed of air exchange, which is a heat exchanger company strictly manufacturing. Mm. It's a pretty diversified industrial organization, right? Absolutely. <laughs> what does your job entail, Willie? Well, this this is a little bit of a long answer. My, my <laughs> job, everybody kind of asks me the same thing. It's weird because I oversee indirect tax. I also oversee transfer pricing. And I also oversee real estate for America's and also procurement for corporate. So that my job kind of, you know, stretch across all this discipline. Okay, okay. And so your department, does it also include the tax department or is that a separate department? Uh, how many, how, how large is your department? So I, I report the VP of tax, which which encompasses the functions I have. Okay. You know, without giving away the headhunters, like what out the whole entire structure on, on the call, I can tell you our department are very, very lean. A, very, a lean, mean fighting machine. Yeah. Very brave. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and and that's that's typically what we see a lot of organizations doing these days is is they're asking people to do a lot more with a lot less, right? Which is probably Absolutely. why you're you're also responsible for procurement. Because in some ways, shape or form, you're gonna have to figure out how you're gonna do all these things with less people, right? Well, yeah, once, yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, you know, how we can do more with less people. And then the other thing is really, like, is there, is there any other solutions that we can partner with that have technology that's scalable that we can do more yep. that way? So that, that is the big part. Okay. How, how global is Harsco? I, I mean, I have a sense of that, but for everybody else, how many different countries do you have a, a permanent establishment or a wholly owned subsidiary or, or a foreign presence? It's between 30 to 35. I think it's about 35-ish. You know, we, like you, you would see that we have, you know, pretty significant presence in Brazil, China, Mexico, Canada, and Australia. In India, of course, yep. and more Christian countries. Yeah, and so, for from your perspective, then those those are the interesting countries. Tell us a little bit of why and what you've experienced in those particular countries. Why are they so interesting for Harsco? You know, it's interesting because think through this, right? From Harsco perspective, we not only have product markup across mm-hmm. countries, we have cross charges across countries. We also have intercompany loan across countries. 
So, and then with different compliance needs, compliance needs in terms of what kind of documentation does local feds require in order to make sure those are deductible. That makes it a very interesting mix of issues and um, what, what, how I say it in a nice way, issues and fact patterns. How's mm-hmm. that? Yeah. <laughs> and Fiona, Mimi just mentioned that transfer pricing in India and Brazil is difficult. How so? Well, Matt, both are interesting jurisdictions. Brazil, of course, has its own transfer pricing regulations, including its own interpretation of the arm's length principle. So, compared to the rest of the world, transfer pricing there is unique. But Brazil did apply for OECD membership and the country is working with the OECD to better align its regulations with the organizations. We'll see what happens. As for India, well, the tax authority there is very aggressive. India's transfer pricing is changing, the government recently proposed a profit attribution plan that abandons the arm's length principle. So in both of these jurisdictions, there is a lot going on. And now it's time for our first CPE code word, and that word is fascinating, as in this is another fascinating episode of The Fiona Show, and back to our conversation. And so in a lot of those countries, like, I, I think a lot of people would agree with you, Brazil is a difficult country, or India is a difficult country. I mean, have you been experiencing any heightened sort of awareness in those countries with respect to your organization, or any further challenges when it comes to transfer prices? Well, absolutely. So, so, so depends. So, each country depends on where and what at what time we we uh, we get into the situation, right? So, if some of those we get in pretty earlier, you know, our our, our heightened surprises are rather low. And in those countries that actually like something like India, sometimes it could be an issue. Simply not because we get in later. It's simply mm-hmm. because they they may have they may have changes all different, different you know quickly. They also may have a practice of continuously repricing some of the markup across the authority plus across the the you know indirect with the different you know practitioner that way to continue reprice upwards. So it's interesting. You know, it's kind of a. Uh, you have the benchmarking that we are working in. We also right. have the other part that kind of, you know, yep. So feel free to sort of opine on this, but as far as I know about what you guys have been doing from a transfer pricing perspective, would you agree or disagree with, you know, the volatility of profitability within each jurisdiction that's creating concern and creating sort of exposure and risk in those difficult and aggressive countries. Is that right? The volatility of external factors has continued to escalate. From our perspective, internally, mm-hmm. you know, our risk and exposures in that, in terms of the variances, will continue to reduce that because of the documentation and of the experience that we're putting those together to ensure that we're in good range. Yeah. So we are really managing that risk very effectively. Yeah. Through our great partners, of course. <laughs> well, thanks for the plug, Willie. <laughs> so, have you guys been under transfer pricing audits in any particular jurisdictions within the last five years or so? Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. We definitely have those. I mean, one of those could be. You know, we have at least I can't think of a couple of them here. And some of those, I think, I, want, I would like to warn the audience, you know, like from a Latin American perspective, those are probably one of the higher difficulties ones, and also the India ones. 
those are actually the more higher risk factors that you may you guys may want to look at it very carefully. Right. Like, I know you're always traveling to Brazil, right? And I don't know if that's really because of the risk and exposure you guys have in Brazil. But yeah, I mean, Brazil just as a country it, in and of itself, when it comes to transfer pricing, they've always been known to be a little different. They I mean, they don't necessarily follow the arms length standards, even though they might argue they do. So, but is that part of why you're always traveling back and forth between your office here in the U.S. and Brazil? Oh, officially, of course, that's the, that's the answer. Then not officially, oh, yeah, that's a good place to go to. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I, I personally have never been to Brazil, so I'm not, you know, I, I haven't had the pleasure of seeing the local area, but it's very nice. Oh, Brazil, Rio is one of the, the best places to have to go. I think it's very, uh, I, I love the people there. It's really enjoyable to be there. And we have a great tax team in Brazil, and we also have a great finance director. I mean, Brazil, we have Julia Oliveira in our tax team. Mm -hmm. We also have Paulo Romani. He's a great finance director. And we have just great people in the hard school over there. So it's always very enjoyable to be there. It's always good to work with people you enjoy, you know, you, you like personally and professionally, right? So... So going back to your transfer pricing audits and your experiences, I mean, being that you guys have been under audit and, and scrutinized in a variety of different jurisdictions, what was that experience like? It's really, you know, so, so we have, I mean, we have quite a lot of experience in, in different, so it's really where, you know, if you, if you do a scale 1 to 10, right, and the real question is really is what is your pain level? And the pain level goes this way. If you get into the audit at earlier stage, the pain level probably is at one. Mm -hmm. When you probably get, if, but however, if you get into the audit at later stage, the pain level is probably seven or eight. Hmm. So that, that's what, what has been like. <laughs> and is that just because from a personal involvement perspective, or is it because when you say get into the audit later, do you mean that you yourself were brought into the mix of people who had to deal with the audit at a later stage of the audit? Is that what you mean? Actually, no, a little bit more than that. That, that. That's one part of it. The other part is that, you know, if we have, if we uh, kind of construct our transfer pricing earlier in the stage from a, from a narration perspective, so then that's where one comes in, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, we, we will have a pretty good defense file ready to go. We have a pretty good master file ready to go. Yeah. Well, and then we have all this documentation that revolves around like the invoices or whatever the as we ask for. And therefore, the pain level is relative one, and we get in pretty early. And then, and then you will experience in every company. You know, at, if you, if you kind of get into a audit, and the the, the the local director go, hey, we got this audit is hitting us here. And now you kind of really like trying to have you know to to find go back in time and find the best fact pattern and try to represent as accurate as possible, given that you may not have that working experience or direct knowledge to to construct reconstruct it factually that hey, these are what happened. So that is the pain see. that I see, I see. So if I could if I could reiterate that back to you, Willie, my what if I heard you correctly, you're basically saying it's much easier to be proactive than it is to be reactive because by the time the audit is actually happening, if you have to go back in time to prepare your documentation, 
you may not have everything in place and it's that much more difficult. Like the pain level to your point is a seven or eight if you have to figure out what you did three years ago, right? Exactly. Okay. Yes, well put. It is difficult to try to recreate or understand what was happening three years ago for, you know, if you're being under, if you're under audit today. I mean, that's a, that's a resource issue. You might have experienced attrition, right? And people were gone from the organization that might have had the best institutional knowledge about that transaction at that point in time. But also, I mean, I think if you're reactive, if I'm not mistaken, and tell me your experience here, it's probably really costly, right? Absolutely. Every time that we are reacting to any kind of situation is very costly. Either a costly from a council, mm-hmm. it's costly from an internal finding that fact, or finding that one email <laughs> or presentation yeah. to that, that represent what happened. And so that, that, find, that, that indexing and finding effects has been very costly. Oh, sure. And I know you guys have a pretty robust process when it comes to being able to support the allocation of management service costs, right? And so to your example, it's time, effort, extremely irritating, if you will, <laughs> to try to go back in time and say, what was that person doing to support that organization? And why did they allocate 10% of their time? And do you have evidence to actually support that, right? Exactly. And then the worst case comes in would be, oh, worst case, you know, where the fat, you know, the fiscal end go, really? Prove me. Yeah, prove it. You know, all these That's right. Prove it. Yeah. Right? And then say, okay, yeah, we can prove it. We have businesses here. That's how we do this, though. So. And if I might just cut in there for a moment, Fiona, Willie has suggested that it's easier to handle transfer pricing if you're proactive rather than reactive. How can transfer pricing executives be proactive when it comes to transfer pricing? Well, Matt, documentation is important, of course, but proactivity begins even before that. Transfer pricing executives can work with the new business team and explain the transfer pricing position before launching the new endeavors. Then of course, know your jurisdiction's transfer pricing regulations in terms of documentation and meet them. Also, review your transfer pricing policies on a regular basis and make sure they are consistent with how the company operates. Follow those rules and you're off to a great start. Which brings us to our second CPE code word, and that word is juggle, as in Willie Ong is known to juggle many responsibilities. And back to our conversation. Yeah, I, you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that when you're actually under audit, the burden of proof is on the taxpayer. And, you know, the burden of proof is on the taxpayer. And because the burden of if proof is on the taxpayer, then, you know, your documentation is your first point, And that's your first line of defense. Uh, but then secondarily, like all those, there needs to be a certain level of support and you need to have all of that information readily available, which is the information or the work papers that ultimately helped prepare your transfer pricing studies, right? But all those work papers have to be maintained and saved, right? So that they're easily referenceable in, in case of a real audit. Well, not only maintain space, and then retrievable. Like, you know, you need to find them, easily find them, and then you can put them together. So we kind of like doing, when, when we are preparing ourselves, we kind of like making sure we are like audit proof mm-hmm. to make sure that we have that ready rule. So then when any point of you being asked for, you will have that ready to go. Yeah, I, I, I never realized how 
difficult that was to navigate until I, you know, I was, I was in an in industry and then we were being audited in Mexico and in Mexico, they said they, they, they used your exact words, Willie, prove it, prove that this service actually provided a benefit to this entity. Show me the invoices that actually supported the cost that you paid to third party vendors for this type of service. Right. And it was it was astonishing the level of detail that they were actually looking for. Exactly. In that two words, prove it. You know, yeah. that old saying is supposed to have that. It all, you know, from our experience, it includes like India, other countries, China. And it really depends on, you know, Sometimes we have to be very careful too because it depends on the tension between countries, if there is any, then that could be escalated too. Right, right. That's fascinating because I think the idea that you have to navigate the questions posed by tax authorities in a sort of a politically delicate environment, if you will. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So there's times where we are friendly with certain countries. You know, some of this audit may not be looked at that hard, you know, right. so then prove it may not be that harsh of a prove it. When, when countries have tensions around it, then becomes like, well, prove it becomes really prove it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and, and sometimes it's it, the question, I think, in a lot of tax authorities, or in my mind, actually, you know, even, even as the person who had to prove that these services really provided a beneficial service, sometimes I would look at the evidence that we were putting together and I thought, is this really proving it? Like, I'm not really sure this is sufficient enough. If I were them, I wouldn't think that this was proof, but you can never tell exactly at what level or how deep the tax authorities are going to go with that, right? You can, exactly. you, can, you can run into really, really reasonable agents who say, okay, well, that looks good. Yeah, I get it. You know, I know it's not explicit. And you have others that say, well, no, I want the invoice that goes, that tracks this cost. I want to track that cost all the way through to the person. I want to see this payroll stub, like all that level of detail, right? I want to see the rent expense exactly. <laughs> and trace that all the way to the amount that's allocated on a per-person basis. Yeah, that point is that... A lot of times that we have, we do have the documentation, we do have the narrative, and it, it's, it's more like prove it in a time frame we want to have it. Mm-hmm. That's more like so. Sometimes, you know, some of those audits it could be quite far back. Like we may have sunset that system. We we'll probably have to go back to the previous system to get some of this documentation. That yes. that could be an issue. So. Hi, I'm Matthew DeMello, and you may know me as the host of the Fiona Show Cross-Border Solutions Weekly Transfer Pricing Podcast. And while I love to discuss transfer pricing, this podcast isn't the only place you can hear me doing it. Cross-Border Solutions recently relaunched Transfer Pricing University, a live webinar series where you can learn about modern-day transfer pricing, everything from methodologies to comparables to preparing documentation to meet country-specific regulations. Good stuff, I know. Chief Economist Mimi Song leads the sessions. I just ask the occasional obvious question. Since our program is NASBA certified, you can earn one CPE credit for joining each session. Pretty sweet. So what are you waiting for? Join us for Transfer Pricing University every Tuesday and Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern. Classes are free, so now you really have no reason to miss it. Sign up at xbs.ai tpu.
Yeah, that's a, that's actually a really good point. When companies make changes to their existing infrastructure, whether or not it's technology, you have to keep in mind that a statute of limitations for an audit and the ability to be able to go back in time to get the right level of information is really important. So case in point that you could potentially you may have sold the division, and with that sold division, and that division may have only used a certain, you know, OS operating system, the enterprise system. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, as part of the exit, they had they provide say, hey, we'll, we'll service you, whatever, whatever. But then they, they will service you, but they put in a closed box, it's in a black box, and then put in storage. Two years later, they say, hey, we need some documents. We have it, but it's in that system. So now, that system is somewhat old, you want to go back and retrieve it. It's right. something, you know, the audience may want to think through, like, hey, you know, when you when you sell that, you want to make sure that we have some way to go back to the system and retrieve those documents. Yeah. Or regenerate. Yeah. Yeah. Good centralized repository to maintaining and managing the files related to potential audits in the future, right? Absolutely. So... You've had a, a lot of different interesting sort of tax experience at other multinational companies besides Harsco. I think you've had a very interesting background. What stands out the most to you, Willie? I think it's really, again, I go back to the entry point. What most, from an experience perspective, I think most important is it's your, the person relationship, the person that's handling this position or the group that handling this position, their relationship with the internal stakeholder, I think is the most important and then their relationship, you know, with the external support locally and then from a corporate perspective, will, will all these factors will create an enjoyable experience for a function like this. So there's a lot of soft skills, so to speak, that perhaps you didn't learn in school that 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 will help you navigate the, the internal environments that you've been dealing with. And it sounds like you've you've really figured out how to do that effectively. For most of the functions in, in I, I look at myself, what's my surprise thing, pretty commodity, you know, from my, my perspective across corporate, right? Across mm-hmm. from corporate to corporate. Like the, the real differentiator is really hey, how well do you integrate with your internal stakeholders and able to get them to help you or you help them to come up with a, a good position and, and, and a position or preempt some of this position. At the same time, you know, partner with you know, the uh, service provider that actually can help you be successful that way. So if the skill is somewhat commodity, and highly skilled but it's commodity, then the, the, the differentiator is going to be that relationship that you have with, you know, internal and external stakeholders. Right, right. A couple more questions, though, Willie, for you. All right. If you were going to give advice to a tax executive at another multinational company, what would that be? You will be audited is a given. You know, so not in a bad way, in a good way. Yeah. Construct the story, narrative, right. and then have evidence to help kind. That's yeah. it. Yeah. That's that's great advice because no one is free from audit or the potential risk of audit. And ultimately, that it, it is what it is, the nature of the environment and, and the direction we're going in. It's only going to get worse, right? So be prepared. Absolutely. And then what are your biggest concerns for the immediate future? Well, concerns or, or, or opportunities, I think hmm. because of the changes, there are opportunities to be in a better position. And, you know, with the influx and change in tax laws, I think the, there's just a lot of opportunities in terms of creating value for a company. 
either in either from a uh, uh, efficiency from a tax perspective mm-hmm. or that efficiency from a operational perspective. So I think I think it's both a concern and a challenge as we go. Well, I mean, listen, it's people with your mindset and with that perspective of wanting to adopt change and and continue enhancement and, you know, improve existing processes that are really going to bring value back to your organization. So Harsco is very lucky to have you. Oh, I hope they think so, too. A global pandemic, a grim economic forecast, feeling the squeeze, an R&D tax credit can help lower your burn. If you qualify, the IRS and some state governments will give you a tax credit equal to 10% of your company's spend on development activities. You can even take the credit against payroll taxes if you're in the red. All you have to do is claim it. So what's stopping you? If an expensive application process is turning you off, sorry, now you really have no excuse. Cross-Border Solutions AI-driven R&D tax credit software eliminates the need for pricey consultants and allows you to apply for R&D credits all over the world for one low fee. After all, why should you have to spend your whole R&D tax credit on getting your R&D tax credit? It's your money. Keep more of it with Cross Border Solutions, the global leader in AI-driven tax solutions. Request a demo today. Visit xbs.ai/rd. That's xbs.ai/rd. And Willie, thank you so much for being with us. Now comes the time for my favorite part of the program. This is a segment we like to call What We Want to Know. It's just a rapid fire round of questions, just of a little bit more personal, career-based nature. Are you ready? Sure. Excellent. That was question one. Question number two, dream job you'd love to try. Business architect delivers scalable solutions, leveraging technology in terms of digital hardware and software. Interesting. And what is your biggest everyday challenge? Myself. How quickly I can learn from new information, digest it in the best perspective. And what strategies do you use to motivate staff besides promotional videos? <laughs> I give them Christmas gifts, holiday gifts. No, kidding. Kidding aside, no. No, not at all. So <laughs> real, the real thing, three things there. We have share vision, risk, and reward. Number two, Consistent demonstration of trust that we have that we have on their back and in good and bad times. And on the on the last one is that trust that we will provide room for them to do their thing, remove roadblocks for them, and accept their quirkiness and play to their strength. The occasional Christmas gift also goes a long way. I, I will say that to just plant some seeds here at Cross Border Solutions in case anybody internally is listening. Anyway, in terms of transfer pricing, <laughs> in terms of transfer pricing, what mistakes do you think multinational companies make again and again? This may not apply to all multinational, but those that have issues, it's not a mistake. It's really it's an integrated opportunity, like a perfect storm. For like the authority to take advantage of a multinational, you know, how many times, how many multinational is truly integrated? Think about this: how many, how many multinational is truly integrated? Uh, line between operation, tax between country, and then between headquarters and then tax. We all know the answer. All these discrepancies become an opportunity for authorities to take advantage of us. I was going to say, I think a theme you were touching on towards the end there is that there are concerns, but those, you know, so often can be considered opportunities. Correct. 
that. And people describe success in different ways. What's your definition? It's all possible push wisely and participate in the blue ocean rather than the red one. Given the hand you have dealt, play to the best. At the end of each journey, more friends that are smarter than you than yourself. Well, that's a wrap. Willie and Mimi, thank you again for being here. Don't let Willie be the last transfer pricing executive you hear from on this show. Subscribe to The Fiona Show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can hear us drone on about transfer pricing every week. And while you're at it, hear us drone on about transfer pricing in the news, too. Subscribe to our sister podcast, The Fiona Show, hot off the press, and we'll tell you what's happening in terms of regulations, laws, and even court victories and upsets around the globe. This podcast was engineered, edited, and hosted by yours truly. Our interview segment featured additional edits by Andrew O'Donnell. Our executive producer, Mary Lynn Mitchum-Strom, writes our scripts. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. We'll be back next week with more In the Weeds transfer pricing. Count on it.